Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone. To Breaking It Down, Frank McKay here. I saw a great documentary a couple years ago called No Kidding Me Too, and I left thinking, I mean, it was fun, it was a lot of things, but it was important. It had to do with the stigma attached to mental illness, and it's everyone's got to see it. There's no question about it. It's not even up for discussion. Everyone has to see it because we all have to deal with it, but Danny and Joe Pantoliano are just absolutely wonderful. They're doing a podcast that's terrific. Joe, of course, the Emmy Award-winning actor, and his daughter, Danny, is... This is a must-listen to, guys. And the name of the podcast is the same thing. No kidding, me too. A must-listen, guys. Joe and Danny, how are you? We're doing great. Uh, How are you? Doing great. And Danny, let me start with you. Just give us a rundown, real quick rundown of the podcast. It's terrific what you're doing. Thank you. So, yeah, in the podcast, is me and my dad talking to different um, celebrities and professionals and, you know, the athletic field, political field, mental health field. And we're just talking about, you know, our guests, their careers, and also their emotional diseasinesses, as we like to say. Um, and we just have conversations that are very approachable, accessible, and relatable. We talk about our emotions in a way that our listeners can say, you know, no kidding, me too, and can start their own emotional journey. Well, Joe, let me turn to you. I was having this conversation with a friend a while ago. I don't know many people who aren't suffering from either anxiety and or depression or both. And if not that, then something else. I mean, this is something that we shouldn't have a stigma on, but somehow we still, (laughs) there still is. Give me your thought on that and give me another quick rundown of the podcast. Well, it's a human experience. Um, Back when they discovered public relations and propaganda uh, a way to make money they they came up with the idea that we can we can get anybody to, to do what we what they want to do you know and so they started demonizing any any type of emotional discomfort and can you know you if, if you bought a if you bought a chef you bought the USA and a Chevrolet you you know you'd be better you'd feel better um, and uh, the same thing with with the, um, going to college and getting the best getting the best education money could buy, um, and, and uh, you know then you get married and you have kids and then then you're going to be happy and, and the whole this whole idea about being happy um, was was a con. Uh, who says that you're supposed to be happy all the time? You know. Uh, I, I've never been, and, and I thought there was something wrong with me. And so when I hit the wall and came to understand through the help of doctors, 
who specialized in this because had it been my my ankle, I, I would have tried to fix it myself. I would go to the clinic and, and, and have it x-rayed, and then they'd be able to tell me what needed to be done to be able to walk again. So, so the idea that we are all going through this, and that's why we call it, you know, a mood disease, emotional disease. Uh, it, it, it's temporary. And then finding new ways, in my case, finding ways to treat my disease uh, in, a, in a healthy, energetic way, to have a sense of humor about it. You know, that began when I came to realize that it wasn't just me. That's why I started making that documentary, is because I identified with the people I was talking to, and I thought their stories could help so many people find relief in what, for all of us, as it turns out in my research, is unresolved adolescent trauma. Again, great film. Danny, let me turn to you for a second. I have kids your age. I'm the next generation. I'm there with your dad. But somehow I think that you guys get it more so than people our age. And and again, I'm not putting down people my age, but I think you guys are a little more enlightened. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think it's just because we're finally realizing that the things that you guys had to unfortunately grow up with are just not okay and acceptable and we're changing the rules um, and we're talking more about our feelings and you guys, I mean, I think my dad's generation maybe started it a little bit or at least I think that because my dad to me started it a little bit, you know, talking about his emotions and his feelings um, and I think we're, we're just more inclined to do so um, which is really great um, yeah. <laughs> I agree. My kids get it. I think they're a little more open-minded towards everything and just in general. Joe, the stigma that you talk about, you nailed it in the documentary. You just absolutely nailed it. I think you hit the perfect you know, range with it. Not too heavy, not too light, but important again to me. And I've said this even before I knew you were doing the podcast and everything else. How much of a stigma is left at this point? It's still there, but it's nothing close to what it was when we were kids. You know, there are those of us that have come to understand that we have troubles in our life and they're human. And then there's those of us that, that are in denial and, and think that there's nothing wrong. Um, and, and they're waiting for the, the second shoe to fall. But we are a culture of disease. We are a culture of shame. Stigma is, is just a fancy bow that they put on shame and discrimination. And, and as, as a, as a culture, we discriminate against, we shame others, we blame others for what, whatever diseasiness is going on inside of us. And then we refuse to look and examine our own history. Uh, you know, like, like Jesus said, this, you know, yesterday was Easter Sunday. Yeah. He said, you know, for those who haven't sinned, cast the first stone. Um, to sin is an archer's term. When you sin, you it's it's you've missed the mark. You've sinned off the mark. You're three or four inches away or one inch away. So you recalibrate the next time you fling that arrow. 
And so that's what we're trying to encourage people to do is through conversation, open, honest, empathetic, humorous conversations with people that they admire uh, to, to show them that it's cool to talk about it. They're, they're quite open, so why shouldn't I be? Danny, let me close with you. I know a lot of people are waiting to talk to you. First of all, congratulations to both of you on the podcast. It's terrific, great subject, and important conversation. Can you give us a website, a social media site where people can follow along with you, and, of course, the best place to get the podcast? Yeah, so you can listen to our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google, wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, on Instagram, you can find us at No Kidding Me Too Podcast. You can email me, Daniela, that's the two L's, at nkm2.com and share your stories with us. And our website is coming soon. Guys, also, also go ahead. you can go to the nokiddingme2.org website for any research and, uh, and, and points of view. And don't forget, Mental Health Awareness Month is coming up in May. Um, that that if anything that we've talked about feels familiar, reach out, ask for help. Guys, not only thanks for being here, but thanks for doing this. It's a great thing you're doing. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Guys, everyone go to No Kidding Me Too podcast. It's important for so many people, and some people are in denial, but I guarantee you every one of us could benefit from talking about feelings, and uh, you know, I don't want to go too hippie on everyone, but listen, let's face it. Um, we're in a different generation now, and I think my kids' generations, and actually, you know, I've got an 18-year-old, and we have a 28-year-old, so I mean, we have a little bit of a gap, and they might be <laughs> different generations, themselves but they get it they get it much more than we do as far as talking about it and forget it early on i'm 54 and when we, if you talked about mental health or depression or anxiety when you were kids you'd get made fun of you know, even parents would cringe and everything else and you know, going to therapy and all of that was so taboo to talk about and everything else. Yeah, I don't think we're there now. Check out his documentary, No Kidding Me Too. And if you don't know, Joe and his daughter, Danny, run the podcast, but Joe Pantoliano is, you know, Ralph Ciparetto from The Sopranos. He was in Midnight Run, Goonies, Matrix, Risky Business, you know, you name it. He's got a resume a mile long. And I know I said how about a lot of people, but Joe Pantoliano, tremendous, tremendous actor, Emmy Award winner. He won his Emmy, I think, for The Sopranos, but you've seen him in so many things. I just saw Midnight Run recently. It was great in that with De Niro and and uh, Charles Groding. There's so many great actors in that. But anyway, he is a terrific actor. I'd love to talk to him longer about that. Right now, it's about the podcast. Check it out. No kidding. Me Too is the name of their podcast. And it's light. It's not... You know, it's not too heavy, but people from the industry that they know and people from the sports, you know, sports world and everywhere else, they come on and they talk about mental illness and, and they're trying to get rid of it. So not rid of mental illness, but rid of the stigma that comes along with mental illness. I think, yeah, it, we're going to have mental illness for a while, but I guess the first part about it is talking about it. And before you can do it, you've got to acknowledge it and you've got to get away from this fear about talking about anxiety and depression and so forth. Anyway, Joe Pantoliano 
has been our very special guest with his daughter, Danny Pantoliano. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with a lady who does so many things and does so many things very well. She's an actress. She's a stand-up. She is a uh, she's an, a writer, a playwright, and and she is an author of a great new book. I've ordered mine, and everyone has to order two, uh, one for themselves and one for their favorite Don Knotts fan, Karen Knotts, of course, the daughter of the iconic, uh, legendary, award-winning Don Knotts, uh, you know, of course, Barney Fife and so many other uh, roles that he played, but Barney Fife was really uh, where, uh, where he was legendary on The Andy Griffith Show. Karen Knotts, the name of the book. The name of the book is tied up in knots. It's a must-get, and everyone, everyone, please get this book. Karen, how are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here to tell you about my book and my journey with the book. Well, listen, let's get a little bit of your history, if you don't mind. We assume, I guess we all assume, that you grew up in L.A. Did you grow up in and around L.A.? I did. I grew up actually in Glendale, California, were my early years here, and um, and then we, li- we lived in Beverly Hills when I was a teenager, and then I went to USC, and um, it was just great growing up with my dad because we were very close, you know, and I always was his little mentor. I was his little psychiatrist, you yeah. might say, in a way, because he was he had so many insecurities. He was neurotic, and even though he had this amazing talent, and he always knew what he was doing, but he never felt like he did. So there was a lot going on between us. It was fun. That's interesting to hear because so many different people are, you know, familiar with his role in many different things. But Barney Fife, and he had these neuroses and character. How much different was your dad from the characters that we grew to know and love how he did? Would we be shocked to know your dad in person? You wouldn't be shocked. You will be surprised. And you will find as you read this book, there are many surprises about him. But people, you know, they automatically assume, and of course, how would they not, is that he was like Barney Fife. Because, you know, people think of Barney Fife as not as a character, but as a living, breathing person, you know, because he he played him so perfectly. Um, But he was not like Barney Fife at all, really. I mean, there were elements of Barney Fife in him. Like sometimes if he'd get excited or nervous, he would, you know, he would sound, he'd have this voice go to that high register or whatever. But he's actually a very, very smooth man. He he was a ladies' man. Um, he he knew a lot of Hollywood people. He he was very creative. He he wrote poetry. I mean, all these things. So he, he was a great, man, fantastic man all around. Yeah, well, everyone that I've ever spoken to who knew Don Knotts, knew your dad, loved him and said just wonderful things about him. And to this day, you know, he's one of those folks that people just have a warm spot in their heart, whether they knew him or didn't know him. How early in your life did you realize that, hey, my dad's not like everyone else. My dad's on TV. My dad's in movies. How soon before you understood that dad was a celebrity? You know, it's interesting. I get I get that question quite often. But actually, I knew very early on because 
Well, because he was, we watched him on the Andy Griffith Show, and we lived in Glendale. That wasn't a town with a lot of famous people. So, you know, I knew. I knew my, knew my dad was famous. I knew he was this amazing actor. And, and then I got to go on the set when I was like, you know, seven or eight years old. So I already knew about that. And uh, I, I just knew and embraced it. It wasn't really a big deal like it is now. I mean, you know, people, we were a part of the neighborhood. So it was, it was cool. I imagine on the set, there weren't a lot of kids. Uh, you know, Clint Howard, I'm sure, was hanging around with his brother Ronnie. And, and he played his roles there. And there were other kids mm-hmm. during Opie's episodes where their kids were featured. Did you get to know Ron Howard well? I got to know him on a you know a little bit because he was usually working or busy you know when I was there, but he did we did become friends. He took me around the set and he showed me some of the things like the prop man Reggie used to make these funny props and he would leave they would leave these things around and and then they um, my dad and Andy played darts uh, sometimes and he showed me where the dartboard was you know and we had conversations you know and it was but. To me, uh, Ronnie Howard was not like any other kid that I ever met. You know, he had this maturity <laughs> that, like, an eight-year-old kid wouldn't have. <laughs> you know, he wasn't like talking to a friend at school, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's exciting to talk to you, and you really got to see a real history in the making as it went on. And whether you realized it, you know, early on as far as that goes, here you are to write about it. What's the genesis of the book? How long, and please don't say your whole life, because that's the actual answer, but... <laughs> How long has this book been in the making, in actuality? Okay, well, it, it kind of happened in spurts because, you know, for a long time, many years, people have said to me, you should write a book. And I would say, no, I had no interest in being an author. I'm an actress. I'm a comedian. But somewhere about 10 years ago, I don't know why, I started collecting interviews with people. I went. I was in his hometown, Morgantown, because I do a, a touring show called Tied Up and Nuts also. I was in Morgantown where he grew up, and um, I got um, I got to meet some people, and I started to interview them about my dad. And I started interviewing other people, and I was just collecting these interviews, and I had so many interviews. When I finally started writing the book, which was just a year ago, actually, about a year and a half ago, I was really fortunate. I, it was during the pandemic when I wrote most of the book. I was so fortunate that I had collected all of these interviews from years ago, and I was, it really helped me out a lot, because that's not a very long time to write a book. Listen, it's exciting, like I said, and I know a lot of people are waiting to talk to you. Give us something about your dad that, again, we don't want you to spoil the book. We want everyone to buy it. Tied Up in Knots is the right. name of the book. But give us something about your dad that you can't resist to tell us what we all should know about him. And then before you go, give us your website, your social media site, where and the best place to buy the book. Okay. Well, my dad was a ladies' man. That's something that a lot of people don't know. And he um, always had women, girls, whatever, attracted to him. Um, and it, it really always amazed me that he had so many women interested in him, but I could still at the same time understand it. And he was, he was married three times total. Each marriage lasted 14 years. And then in between marriages was when he was when he single. When I was in high school, was his biggest single dating around period that I was aware of. And he dated dancers, he dated actresses, uh, 
real estate agents, <laughs> even my best friend's mother at one point. Yeah. So it was really interesting to be around him. Yeah. And he also dated a co-star or two. You can you give us one? One that he dated, co-star? Elaine Joyce, she was the co-star of his variety show, and people don't even know that he had a variety show, but he host, hosted a variety show. Shirley MacLaine once asked him to direct a show that she was doing. He had a big crush on her. Yeah, um, yeah that's about all I can think of offhand that were famous. If you can, give us a give us a website or a social media site to follow along with what you're doing. Yeah. KarenKnotts.com, my name, KarenKnotts.com. And the social media, I think you can get that from Art. He has all that. I can't, I don't know it well enough. I should have it memorized. But, Good enough. Uh, well, let us let you go. Yeah. There's a lot of people waiting to talk to you, and we'll talk about the book as we leave you go. Congratulations. I've ordered mine, and we're going to get everyone to order theirs. Oh, thank you. Karen Knotts has been our very special guest, and she is the daughter of the late, great Don Knotts. And I say that, I don't know how many Emmys he won, but a, a ton of them. And I was surprised. You know, not surprised because of his abilities. I mean, he was a beloved character actor and did a great job. And by the way, Barney Fife was a great, great character. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Kelly Collin is with us. And we play a show of hers once a year. And because it's so sought after and so many people love to hear her take on everything and she does so much on her own but she does so much to keep her dad's legacy alive and george collin Collins american dream is upon us and it debuts this coming friday and very important to keep alive the legacy of a man who i quite frankly don't know where comedy would have gone without george collin and richard pryor but george collin especially in so many ways what a brilliant man thrilled to have kelly collin here with us. Kelly, how are you? I'm doing great today. I'm uh, sitting in the fabulous New York City today. Well, yeah, listen, nice to have you here. Does it feel like home, New York City? I know your father probably felt very at home in New York City, but I won't put words in your mouth or in his mouth. How did he feel about the city in general? Was he comfortable coming back here even when he was an L.A. guy? Uh, oh, Frank, he loved the city. Every cell of his body loved the city. We, you know, we moved to LA for his career in the, in the mid sixties. Uh, but this was his town and he walked the, the streets and he taught me how to walk the streets in New York and he loved every single person he came across. Uh, and this was his home. He was still close to all of his neighborhood friends he grew up with. Uh, we'd always go up to the neighborhood on the Upper West Side, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically Morningside Heights. And, uh, you know, he loved this town and taught me how to love it. I don't want to spoil anything. I want everybody to watch, and it's back-to-back -back nights. Part one debuts on Friday, and part two comes upon us on Saturday. But did you get into his old friends? Did you get into folks that weren't famous, per se? Are there people talking about George Collin as he was before he was famous, or is it mostly a retrospect of his career? No, it starts from the day he was born. Uh, his brother, Patrick, uh, is in the, is the documentary, and one of his friends from the neighborhood is in the documentary. 
so there is some time spent on his origin story here in the city, talking about his parents and his growing up as a latchkey kid and all that kind of stuff, stuff he's talked about before, of course, and uh, the neighborhood and uh, Catholic church and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a well-rounded documentary, both personal life and his career. This isn't a rhetorical question, but I'm curious. Is there anything that you learned about your dad in the making of this documentary, or is this maybe just a different take on it? Was anything new come to light for you, Kelly Collin, on this documentary? Yeah, I mean, there was no, like, major big life revelation, um, but Judd and, and Michael Bonfiglio, uh, who were both the directors, found so many archival things and, and little facts about his career and stuff like that. So there's this uh, appearance by uh, Tony Orlando from Tony Orlando and Don, and he tells a story about my dad coming to him and wanting to be on the show, and it's a certain time in my dad's career. I, I found that revelatory. Um, a lot of audio tapes they found of my dad talking about different parts of his life. Um, so, you know, really getting to, to hear the nuanced thinking behind his stances and his approach to his work um, and his approach to his life. Uh, you know, so I, I did. I, I I discovered some things about my dad. And um, it's, you know, and it's just also just really, really powerfully put together. Did your dad understand his place in history? Was he hopeful of it? Was he not caring where? Well, obviously, I'm sure everybody cares where their place is. But did he underestimate, overestimate, or, and by the way, it's very difficult to overestimate his place in history, but did he underestimate or did he have a kind of nailed where he would be after his death? I, you know, I kind of observed the last couple of years that he was alive that he really got he was the elder statesman of a generation of comics and that he had influenced, he and Richard obviously had influenced, Richard Pryor had influenced a lot of the comedy world the last 25, 30, 40, 50 years. So I think he, I think he was really seeing that and, you know, and, and got that. Um, and then 10 days before he died, he knew he was getting the Mark Twain prize. That felt good to him and, and felt like, you know, he was getting his due in that way. So, you know, he was a very humble man, but at the same time, you know, you can't deny. He always used to say, uh, when people talk about comedy in the late half of the 20th century, uh, they will have to mention my name. Without question. I mean, if there was a comedy on yeah. him, which I'm sure there is, there should be a whole wing dedicated to George Collin. Actually, I was going to say, at, at the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York, there is a permanent exhibit of his stuff. I, I donated his archives to them. They're, it's an incredible national institution. It's a nonprofit. It's Lucille Ball's hometown and her vision. And so there actually is. It's not a comedy hall of fame, but, you know, if you want to go have some personal touch on George Carlin's archives, you can go there. I'm so glad they did it. We've done whole shows and mini series oh, on what they've done up there. I, you know, thank God. And what an appropriate place for it. You know, uh, Lucia Ball's hometown. George Collins' American Dream will debut this weekend. Please, everyone, get it. HBO back-to-back nights. Very appropriate place for a George Collin documentary to HBO. He had so many great specials yep. there. Let me ask you, who did your dad admire that we might not think of him looking up to or respecting? Who did your dad have a great deal of respect for that we may not see as being obvious? Um, you know, uh, in the documentary they mentioned, they talk about how Sam Kinison ended up influencing my dad. Um, uh, there's, uh, you know, he loved people like Norm MacDonald, 
um, you know, he, 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 he had a really eclectic taste, uh, obviously he was influenced by Lenny Bruce, um, you know, uh, Lord Buckley also the great, uh, orator, I guess you could call him in the fifties. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I didn't sit around talking about comedy with my dad much. So I really didn't know like his list, but he admired a lot, a lot of people. He loved smart comics. He loved people who were doing something interesting. You know, he loved interesting approaches to comedy, Stephen Wright, you know, stuff like that. Kelly, give us your website, social media site, and anything else you want to add before we let you go. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at Kelly underscore Carlin. And uh, my website is the Kelly Carlin site. And you can have access to all sorts of things and all the things I'm up to there. Kelly, congratulations on all your work. It's very important, and I say that sincerely. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Frank, for having me. Kelly Calling, everyone. Kelly Calling is the daughter of the late, great George Collin, and if you haven't heard of work, tremendous work on Sirius XM and so many other outlets. Yeah, Kelly Collin has done a great job. Again, you know, we have a, an evergreen show of Kelly, and then we play it, you know, around Father's Day. And just and people are always asking, you know, to play it. And then people hear it, and they think it's, you know, for a first time. But let me just tell you, George Collin is legendary. There's no question that. His place and Richard Pryor's place are next to each other, and you know that's the Rushmore. If there's a two-person Rushmore, there's two people on it, and it's Richard Pryor and George Collin, and and everyone talks about Lenny Bruce, and of course he gets his proper credit, and he should in history. But what George Collin did and Richard Pryor did was take it more into the mainstream, and you know a lot of dark stuff from both of them. But Lenny Bruce being the first, and again, you know, I you know, was too young for Lenny Bruce and just the movies and different things. But George Collin and Richard Pryor just absolutely are that two-person Rushmore. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, a lady who authored a book that is, this is a fact, the name of the book is called My Dad's Funnier Than Your Dad. And if you think that's just conjecture, consider who wrote it. The eldest child, the daughter of Tim Conway, the legend, the late legend. And I'll tell you, that is a fact, right? My dad's funnier than your dad. She could say that. She's one of the few people in this world who could say that. And it's a fact. And this book is a must. Everyone get two of them. Get one for yourself and get one for your favorite Tim Conway fan or just fan of Hollywood or comedy. A legend. The late, great. Tim Conway is uh, featured in this book, and his daughter, Kelly. Kelly Conway is the author. Absolutely thrilled to have her. Kelly, how are you? Wow, what an introduction. I don't even know what to say now. That's so nice. Thank you. Well, correct me where I'm wrong, right? I mean, your dad was a legend, you know, again, at least on screen and on stage. He was the funniest guy anyone has ever seen, and I don't know what he was like at home. Maybe you can give us a little insight. 
He was exactly the same at home as as you saw on TV, and that and I know that sounds um, it, it sounds cliche, but he really was. He was just a nice guy who had fun and entertained all of us kids. I have five younger brothers, and we were all really close in age. There's only eight years between or from the me to the youngest. We are all little brass at once. Um, and I think there was anything he could do to keep us quiet <laughs> so uh, we could get to the next meal. Um, so it was it was fun. We had a blast. We, you know, from going to the racetrack to having um, nothing was really normal. It wasn't like, hey, let's uh, go out to the backyard and go swimming. It was Let's have a swim meet and invite all the kids over from the neighborhood and the trophies and t-shirts and, and barbecue after for the athletes. And, um, it was, it was a really fun life and it still is because he, uh, paved this pretty, a pretty nice path for, uh, for us to appreciate life and, to, um, and to be nice to people and still have fun, which is a pretty good combo. I think. Listen, you're not kidding. I'll just say this. I know a lot of people who knew your dad. I've interviewed a lot of people who knew your dad. I can't find anyone to say a bad word about him. Not that I'm trying to, but everybody seemed to love him. And he just seemed like a nice, nice man. And, you know, this isn't a mommy dearest book. This is a love letter to your dad, I assume. It sure is. He's, um, and I, I, I the same with me, like I, I think I'm in the business. I do wardrobes for commercials and TV, and I think if my dad were someone that uh, wasn't great to be around, I would have eventually heard about it. But he was just—I don't know if there is anyone that can say anything bad about him. Uh, he it was—he was just exactly like you think he would be at home, you know. Let me ask you about growing up a Conway. And again, this is before reality TV and everything else. Did you go to a school where you were surrounded by other celebrities or other celebrities' children? Or were you kind of like isolated and, and everyone was like, wow, Tim Conway's daughter. Which way was it? Were you surrounded by other famous folks or were you isolated? No, we went to public schools. We walked to school uh, down the street to... Uh, elementary school and and high school too. I just uh, public schools and everything was normal as it can be. Cause, you know, there, it, in the seventies, there wasn't the distraction of social media, and it, it's so funny that if you really think about it, these kids now, whatever kind of job their parents have, uh, or whatever city they live in, their day never ends. It's it, it, it's constant with phone and um, the social media. And so I think it's really hard for kids uh, to get through that today, no matter who your parents are. Uh, but in the 70s, growing up um, in a suburb of Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley, uh, we were just, we went to public schools and we were surrounded by the great kids that just that had parents that weren't necessarily in TV. Some of them were because we were still friends with Harvey Corman's kids and Carol Burnett's kids and um, you know, the parties were fun at our house, for sure. Um, but it was pretty normal and I know people want to 
uh, hear that, you know, these crazy things and exciting things that went on in our house. But, and it was fun, but it was just a normal kid. Because my dad, as you know, is from Shukran Falls, Ohio. You're in Cincinnati, right? No, no. We're in Long Island, on Long Island, and in a lot of Florida people are listening, but people all over. But I'm from Long Island. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, um, uh, Your dad's a Midwestern, yeah, right? No matter, he grew, I mean, yeah, he grew up a Midwesterner. He probably exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's how they raised us. And my mom's from Dearborn, Michigan. And um, my dad's parents, uh, my, his mom was Romanian, uh, came here to the U.S. when she was 18, and his dad was from Ireland, came here when he was 17, and I don't know, they just, they raised us like we were uh, in Ohio or Michigan, and um, you don't appreciate it until you get a little older and think, uh, that was a pretty, pretty great way to do it, um, considering that it could have gone another direction, you know, because you hear about these uh, stories about uh, kids in L.A. or Hollywood or, you know, whatever their parents do. You can, there are a lot of distractions, but they kept us pretty, pretty grounded. Yeah. Well, listen, my dad's funnier than your dad is the name of the book. It's a must get for everyone. Kelly Conway is our very special guest. We got about a minute left with Kelly before someone else grabs her. Kelly, before you give us your social media and your websites and you know anything else that we've forgotten, real quick, do you have a second book ready to go? I'm sure there was a lot of information that you had to keep out either because of size or whatever. Do you have a plan for a follow up? I have a lot more stories. Um, when I was first approached to um, to write the book, I at, at first I said I I didn't think so because I didn't think anyone would be interested. I'm like I, I don't know who would be interested in hearing these stories, but it turns out that they are because they're they're wholesome and they're funny. And uh, we had a fun life growing up, uh, and the ways that my dad. Uh, taught us lessons wasn't normal, but um, he sure taught us to to uh, get through life um, unscathed so far. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a perfect life by any means. There was some a little bit at the end where um, you know when my dad uh, wasn't doing well, and I had a stepmom that didn't want me to see him for oh. some reason. Uh, I still don't know the answer to that, but. Um, you know, in the end, he had uh, we had an amazing life with him, and I, we adored him, and he loved his kids, and um, I am grateful for it. Well, congratulations on the book. Thank you very much for being here. Do you have a quick social media plug or a website would you like to send us? Um, I do. My social media is Kelly underscore 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 Conway, and um, that's Instagram. Um, there's lots of stuff on my dad and, uh, try to keep everybody informed. Uh, the book releases on December 15th and you can pre-order on Amazon and actually wherever books are sold. There's an audiobook as well, um, that I did a couple of months ago. So that was interesting reading for seven hours a day for five days, but, uh, that was that was pretty fun. Yeah. If you can stand this voice for a few hours, then the audiobook is is cool too. I wish I had you for a longer time. Thank you very much for being here. Congratulations once again, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My dad's funnier than your dad. 
and it is written by Kelly Conway. And again, let's uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but that's Tim Conway's oldest daughter, oldest child, and she has five younger brothers. Tim Conway, of course, the beloved comedian, actor, comedian, you know him from Carol Burnett's show. And, uh, we know Chris Corman, and he's a wonderful son of Harvey Corman, another beloved comedian from years gone and that we lost. And it's great to talk to the next generation of these folks, both of them in the business, Kelly and Chris Corman. And both of them, you got to hear Chris Corman's interview, too. If you haven't heard that, we'll replay it. But he's wonderful, and he's always trying to help out other folks. But real quick on Kelly Conway, not to be mixed up with Kelly and Conway, right? And I think some people probably <laughs> talking to her thinking, you know, that it's the former Trump spokesperson, Kelly and Conway. And, you know, coincidence that it's the same name, but wonderful lady. And this is a love letter to her dad. Wish I had had her for a longer time. Maybe we'll get her for a longer time. But Kelly Conway has written a wonderful book. Everyone, please get it. My dad's funnier than your dad. Please get her book, Tim Conway. Tim Conway is the subject of this. And the, the late, great comedian, actor, comedian, Tim Conway. Kelly Conway, his daughter. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.